Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Kicking Out It To This Week. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we are going to be bringing you an extreme flavor, if you will, to our Blind Date Diaries concept as we cover and recap, or give you, should I say, my official blind date diary of ECW's Heat Wave 2000 from July the 16th, 2000. We had just approached, or we're going to be approaching, I should say, the 20th anniversary of that event tomorrow. Um, and just recently, I sat down and watched that for the very first time from beginning to end. I've never watched this show before. I uh, heard some things about it, and I thought, uh, why not give it a shot? And uh, this is the first time that I've, I've recapped an original ECW pay-per-view offering. The last time in the Blind Date Diaries format, I recapped and gave you guys what I think is the worst wrestling pay-per-view in the history of all pay-per-views was the WWE version of ECW's December to Dismember from 2006. This time around, I thought... Let's check out something I've never seen before from the original ECW. Didn't have a whole lot of ECW in my wrestling fandom as I was a kid. Um, caught them towards the tail end of their run. Uh, seen little smatterings of it here and there, but for the most part, um, I was a WWF and WCW NWA kind of guy. Little AWA here and there, little world class here and there when it was available. Um, even some uh, GWF, uh, Global Wrestling Federation. So, um, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting into it this week with you guys and uh, giving you my recap, my my diary of this 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 first time ever viewing of ECW's Heat Wave 2000. And uh, you know, as 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 we do here on Kicking Out at Two, the formula is I'll recap and uh, or I'll give you guys a preview of what we're doing, give you my thoughts, and then I'll go right into the social media. But I do it every week, so this week. I'm going to switch it up a little bit, okay, and I'm going to just get right into things, all right, and then maybe at some point or whatever, you know, when it's necessary, when I see it, you know, deem it to be the case, you'll get a social media plug. You'll know where to find this on both Facebook and Twitter. I'll do that for you later on. So let's get into this. Um, ECW Heatwave 2000, you can find it on the WWE Network under the ECW uh, pay-per-view section from July the 16th, 2000, took place from the Grand Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, California. This was the first time ECW had hosted a live event and especially on pay-per-view from uh, Los Angeles, California. 5,700 approximately in attendance for this event. Um, the show opened with a pre-taped video package of porn star Jasmine St. Clair walking the beach joined by the blue guy aka the blue meanie who was a much trimmer looking blue meanie at that time. Uh, both were dating each other at that time from what I remember. Uh, the meanie brags about himself um and how he looks as he stumbles upon a beachgoer sitting on his uh, beach blanket and accuses this individual of being out of shape when, in fact, if you go back and watch this, this individual was in better shape than Blue Meanie was. Um, very tongue-in-cheek kind of segment. Um, Jasmine then delivers what I would like to call the worst low blow in the history of professional wrestling as uh, Meanie then shoves the guy down into the sand. And then we see Sinister Minister, James Mitchell, um, appear in the camera shot laughing at what just took place and then uh he, he runs down the city of los angeles and 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 previews the main event uh the stairway to hell match with justin credible and tommy dreamer for the ecw title and after that the camera then pans to mikey whipwreck who is buried in the sand as the waves from the beach come crashing down on him um <laughs> I don't know what to say here. It was it, it was stupid, okay? Um, the only thing noteworthy from this segment was the fact that Mikey Whipwreck's head was buried 
and uh, or his body was buried in the sand and his head popped up and the waves crashed down on him. That was it. Everything else about this just didn't make any sense. I don't know what reason it was to have this, maybe just to put Meanie on the on the show. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this was a dumb segment to, to uh, open things up. And then we get to the arena um, and we get a live shot with Joe Gertner and Joey Styles in the ring introducing us. And uh, as usual, Joel does his traditional introduction with, well, well, well. Now that Styles is some boring ya, I think I should warn ya that girls get hornier and hornier when I come to California because I, the quintessential stud muffin, Joel, I'm California dreamin' and I leave the girlies screamin' cause I'm a pussy lickin' demon with the vanilla flavored semen, Gertner. I had to uh, rewind that just to get that word for word, quote for quote. I thought it would be interesting to, to put it in my recap here. Um, give you guys a little more in-depth, if you will, on some of the some of the, the verbal um, interactions between some of these performers on the show. And then we get Cyrus the Virus, a.k.a. Don Callis, representing the TNN network, interrupting to a chorus of boos. Um, he brags about getting super crazy deported, uh, which got a... a, a a round of booze, I should say, because Los Angeles, Southern California area, heavy in the Latin American community, super crazy Mexican wrestler. Um, definitely hit a note with that crowd. Um, he talks about taking the title from Tajiri and handing it to Rhino, which, by the way, we watched um, on a uh, ECW TNN watch along episode back in April. Um, he used ECW's advertisement budget to promote Roller Jam, which got a really big, which really gained some heat. And then he uh, he admits to being the man that stripped Rob Van Dam of the television title. Um, the crowd responds with some lewd chants, you know, you suck dick, fuck you, Cyrus, etc., etc. And then Gertner responds by, uh, by saying to Cyrus that he's the man that... that was looking through the glory hole when George Michael was spanking it, uh, which apparently is in reference to the recent arrest of George Michael at that time, getting caught in a public bathroom um, <clears throat> for uh, prostitution. And uh, following that, they go back and forth for a little bit on the mic with Cyrus kind of baiting, baiting Gertner, um, calling him a fat faggot, which is obviously unacceptable in today's uh today's society that that kind of language but unfortunately back then 20 years ago it was a little bit more accepted it was still seen as controversial but still a little bit more accepted um lots of colorful language in this banter between the two of them f-bombs and you know fuck you and motherfucker and cocksucker you know just about everything um you got a lot of insider terms from the both of them about putting people over, getting over, not paying dues, all that insider lingo. I thought that was a little too much for my taste. Um, and then Gertner threatens to quit. And as he walks out, Cyrus brags about Gertner quitting. And then Gertner attacks him from behind, gets a big pop. Uh, it was a decent segment to open the pay-per-view. A little bit controversial in terms of the language but um you know it wasn't your traditional approach for a pay-per-view but ecw wasn't a traditional wrestling organization um and then as this is going on um big sal and tony mama luke enter the ring and sal slams the referee which then signals balls mahoney to come out and it looks like we have our first match uh big sal and balls mahoney uh going one-on-one -on -one. this match went two minutes and 30 seconds with big sal getting the victory um 
Balls got rid of Tony pretty quickly, picked up his chair to nail Sal, but Sal spit in his face and then goes on to the attack. Balls then made a comeback and nailed Sal with his signature right hands and the chance of balls, 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 balls. Then he nails Sal with a chair over the head, but Sal no-sells it and choke slams him and attempts to go up to the second rope. Ref stops him and then Sal nails Balls in the balls with an elbow and then delivers a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for the win. Um, nothing to write home about here. Next, uh, we get RVD and Bill Alfonso discussing their match with Scotty Anton, a.k.a. former WCW superstar Scotty Riggs from the American Males. Um, this promo pretty much hypes up uh, RVD debuting his new finishing maneuver, the Van Terminator, which I thought that was back then, and even to this day now, I thought it was pretty interesting that Van Dam. Um, you know, the, the, one of the main focal points of this storyline with him and Anton heading into this match was the fact that there was more hype surrounding a finishing maneuver that he had already named that nobody had ever seen before. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, really highlighting his, his offensive arsenal, um, as a focal point going into this match not like hey you stole my girl or hey you cheated me out of a title match which all that stuff you know is is standard pro wrestling for the last several decades um but this was interesting it was a different approach i liked it um and it got me interested going into the match um even though you know i i had known what the van terminator would become in later years still watching it back 20 years later i thought oh, okay cool this is you know this is it's 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 gonna get me involved in the match it gives me something um and i'll get into that match later because i got some thoughts about that obviously um we then get a clip of beautiful bobby eaton uh former member of the midnight express attacking simon diamond and johnny swinger and a few others from an ecw arena show a week prior um cw anderson then faced off with bobby and then he trade punches back Back and forth, but Simon and Swinger attack them from behind to set up our next match, which would be Simon Dimer, Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger, and C.W. Anderson versus Kid Cash, Danny Doring, and Roadkill. Um, this match went 11 minutes and one second. We had Louis Dangerously and Electra accompany C.W. to the ring, but uh, C.W. sent them back, uh, kind of uh, displaying some uh, friction in the new Dangerous Alliance. Louis Dangerously was formerly Sign Guy Dudley, and when the Dudleys left, um, he took on the Louis Dangerously character. He you know, had long hair, he wore glasses and a baseball cap, and he resembled Paul, Paul Heyman, the owner of ECW. So I thought that was kind of a, a neat little twist. Um... This match was action-packed all around. Kid Cash and Roadkill um, delivering some top rope high spots to get big pops from the crowd. Um, this was kind of interesting. Cyrus on commentary mentioned that most 300-pound men don't leave their feet to make the cover, brother, in reference to the Bash at the Beach 2000 incident uh, involving Hulk Hogan, which I talked about on last week's show in our Trading Places WCW Bash at the Beach 2000 episode. You can find that in the archives and download that if you haven't already. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then, you know, like most ECW matches, especially if they're tag matches, there's not a whole lot of continuity when it comes to tagging in and out. There's chaos. Uh, the referee doesn't really make any attempts to break it up, just kind of lets the action flow. Um, pretty much a free-for-all, if you will. Uh, the finish saw Kid Cash nailing Swinger with the Moneymaker Piledriver to secure the victory. Um, fun match. It wasn't, like, earth-shattering by any means, but a nice way to keep the crowd engaged, especially after the last match and then the segment before that, which really wasn't heavy on in-ring action. So they had to really pick up the pace to make up for the beginning of the show, and I thought that was a nice way to do it. Um, 
we get Rhino cutting a promo in the back talking about Sandman's wife in the fucking hospital, as he put it. Um, God damn, man. Very foul language in this promo. You know, not that I have anything wrong with it, because you asked my wife. I'm the king of the F-bombs. I mean, you know, fuck this, motherfuck that. Fuck, 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 fuck. I'll say it, you know, till the cows come home. And I apologize to those who have children that might be listening to this. But, uh, yeah, this is a pretty... <laughs> It, my language can get a little colorful at times, so I'll do my best to uh, to, to, to scale that back. But um, in this promo here, Rhino did no scaling back of the F word whatsoever. Uh, calling Sandman's wife a rotten, stinking gash. And then uh, telling Sandman, you need to bring everything you got. Um, he's not giving up the ECW television title because he's the big fucking deal. Um, this was typical Rhino back in the day. This was kind of what made him stand out in ECW. Not only just, you know, his character and, you know, his, his in-ring um, display, but what he did on the mic, you know, there was a lot of cussing and, you know, mother F this and that in ECW, guys using, you know, foul language to get themselves over and it fit for that environment. He just happened to adapt to it. Um, and, you know, because it was pay-per-view, they didn't, bleep out any of those words um television different story but pay-per-view you heard it you heard everything fly um our next match here we get into it is one of the featured bouts on this card it is steve carino going one-on-one -on -one with jerry lynn steve carino accompanied by jack victory this match went 15 minutes and 23 seconds um we saw jerry lynn more aggressive in this match not the typical babyface jerry lynn we saw from the past um you know, not exhibiting his typical style of technical wrestling and aerial assault. We saw some of it, but he, there was more. There was a more aggressive side to him in this match. Um, Carino got busted open early on due to a tornado DDT from Lynn to Carino out on the concrete floor. There was no mats around the ring, so Carino got busted open that way. I'm assuming it was a blade job and not the hard way. Um, Carino's over time in the last year or so if you go back and you watch some ECW stuff Carino was was really coming into his own as a, as a performer and as a singles competitor and he kind of adopted um, you know by working with Dusty Rhodes he kind of adopted um, some of that southern style of wrestling um, into his into his arsenal uh, using Dusty Rhodes bionic elbow which got a pretty big pop even though he was a heel the crowd still popped for it um, these guys made their way out into the floor numerous numerous times with Carino jaw jacking with the audience. He told one fan that his mom jerked him off the other night. Pretty much, you know, more foul language as, as Carino's just drenched in blood from you know his entire face. He he bled like like a faucet. I mean, his 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 face was completely covered. His hair he had bleach blonde hair at the time. It was red. It was like worse than a Ric Flair blade job. Um, he got a ton of heat, ton of heat, you know, out, you know, on the floor when he was going at it with the audience. Um, these guys brought chairs into the match at one point, both used them at different points in the match. Um, Jerry Lynn nailed Steve Carino with a hangman DDT draped over the top rope for a two count. Um, and then at, at one point, Jerry Lynn wiped Carino's blood on his face and body um, resembling war paint and then wrote the word die on his stomach, which got, a, which got a pretty strong reaction. I think the crowd didn't really know what to make of it because this was a different side of Jerry Lynn. And I think because the rivalry was so personal at the time, it made sense. Um, even though I wasn't too involved in, in watching ECW at that point. I was a little bit, but I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. This rivalry was pretty personal. Um, 
We then see Lynn um, low-blowing Carino, and then he goes back to kind of jaw jack with uh, Jack Victory, of all people, who has powder in his hands. Lynn would then knock the powder out of Victory's hands into the referee's eyes and taking him out, resulting in Carino taking off his wrestling boot to nail Jerry Lynn. Carino sends Lynn into the rope, but Lynn counters him to roll him up, and then Carino kicked out despite the referee still being knocked out. Um... Sending and then he sends Lynn into the uh, the the ropes and he's met with a Jack with Jack Victory nailing him with the cowbell, which got a pretty big pop. Victory wakes up the ref and Lynn manages to kick out at two. Ha ha ha. Um, several near fall attempts by both men, which got the audience up on their feet, failing to put the other one away. Uh, the finish comes when Carino goes for the backslide, but Jerry Lynn counters with the cradle pile driver for the win at 15 minutes and 23 seconds. Good intensity between these guys. Good match. Carino bled buckets. I really don't know why. Um, like I said, it seemed like the rivalry was personal, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of backstory. I know Lynn came back and the network tried to, the network faction tried to buy him off and Carino was tasked to take out Jerry Lynn. I don't know how personal it was for Carino to bleed buckets, but nonetheless, anytime you saw Steve Carino wrestle at this point, he was, he was, a, he was gushing him. <laughs> I'll say that. Um. I don't think the blood was necessary given the story told, but it was still a fun pace match between both these guys nonetheless. Um, we then cut to a video of the rivalry between Sandman and Rhino and footage from their match at Hardcore Heaven. Um, the network attacked Sandman and then eventually they got physical with Lori Fullington, Sandman's wife, who was at ringside. Rhino ends up giving her a pile driver off the apron through a table onto the floor. And then Carino and Victory drag his wife into the ring to set her up for the gore, but Sandman makes the save momentarily until Rhino Gore's Sandman, who is carrying his wife, simultaneously into a table for the victory. Um, yeah, some pretty pretty violent stuff with the women there. Um, but, I mean, that was ECW at the time, so I can't really, uh, I can't really fault them for, for that um, because that's what, they, that, that's what they did at the time. I don't know if that, that doesn't age well today. I'll say that. There will be people that would, you know, ECW would be shut off and would not, air a show ever again if they were you know fully operational in 2020 um that's for sure with that kind of content um we then cut to a pre-tape interview with sandman and his wife in the the, the dressing room um discussing rhino's assault on her sandman showed a lot of intensity intensity in this promo over um his wife's attack and how it affected their kids her time in the hospital etc i thought that was a nice touch and then rhino showed up out of nowhere nailing sandman in the in the head with the singapore cane and they grabbed Lori Fullington, dragging her into the bathroom, kind of shoving her head in the toilet, almost giving her like a swirly. And for those of you out there that don't know what a swirly is, Google it. I'll just leave it at that. Um, Sandman would make the save and security intervenes to break things up. Um, we cut back to uh, Joey Styles and Cyrus, who, who are reacting to what we just saw. And then they introduce Dawn Marie to the commentary table. Um... Don Marie plays the, uh, the, the, the hot ditzy bimbo really well, um, depicting, uh, the narrative that she's got no clue what she's doing in the broadcast booth as Cyrus kind of, you know, checks her up and down and admonishes and admires her look physically. Um, 
And while that's going on, New Jack's music hits, or should I say the dubbed over WWE Network version and not the Natural Born Killers version he would come out to. Um, as he's making his way to the ring on crutches, sporting a walking boot on his right foot, and we see the Baldies, Tony DeVito and Angel, jump him from behind before he can even get into the ring. Um, crowd chanting uh, New Jack as the heels continue to beat up on him. Um, Angel eventually used a staple gun to New Jack's forehead, busting him open. And then we see Nova and Chris Chetty run down to make the save and jump on the Baldies, which sets up our next impromptu match. The Baldies and Nova the Baldies against Nova and Chris Chetty. Uh, this match went five minutes on the dot. Um, we'd see a springboard plancha from both Nova and Chetty to the Baldies on the outside. Um, while that's going on, Atlas Security is shown helping New Jack to the back as this match continues. Um, this really wasn't much of a structured tag team match between both teams. We saw some quick tags here and there, but for the most part, all four men were at the ring, were in the ring at one point um, together with real no no semblance of a tag team match per se. Um, the referee, you know, like usual, CCW didn't seem to care about controlling the action. Uh, the finish came when uh, Nova and Chetty both climbed the same top rope and nailed the tidal wave leg drop splash combo onto Angel for the win. Um, this was standard operating procedure for ECW at the time that... Uh, We'd get, you know, maybe three or four matches advertised on the card, and then we would get a lot of impromptu stuff. Uh, usually they would, you know, ride out the card with seven, maybe eight matches tops, um, and then ring segment, like a promo leading to a match. Um, that was kind of like what ECW was. They were like the Wild West, I guess you could say, when it comes to uh, their, their pay-per-view offerings. Definitely brought a, a, an unpredictability factor, for sure. Um, I remember even before watching this one, I've watched older ECW pay-per-views, what kind of a, you know, unpredictable environment that it presented to me as a viewer with these impromptu matches taking place. And it wasn't, like you said, the, tr the traditional buildup for a match. Um, you know, two guys scheduled to go at it, but something would change. Another guy would step in, or you'd get a promo from a guy, and then, you know, somebody would come out to confront them. They brawl, sets up the match. Somebody makes a save, bing, bang, boom. Now it's a tag match. You know, that, that unpredictable nature of it, I think, was what um, helped make ECW stand out, you know, during that time period, aside from the rest of their programming. Um, but this was just another one of those factors that helped them, um, you know, stand on their own in the in the, in the level of uh, pay-per-view presentation. You know, from WWF and WCW. Um, we get a pre-tape with Tommy Dreamer, who's in the back talking about the his story uh, of his journey in the wrestling business, all the sacrifices he's made with friends and family and spouses. Um, he talks about being sick and tired of people like Justin Credible and Francine taking shortcuts and taking away his opportunities. He's sick and tired of the TNN network treating ECW poorly, which at the time, as we all know, um, ECW was the guinea pig, to see, the guinea pig, I should say, to see if wrestling would fly on their network and eventually they would get kicked off and WWF would bring Monday Night Raw to TNN, which would eventually form into Spike TV, which is now the Paramount Network. But um, ECW didn't really get the best of help from their net from the network um we saw no commercials for them um during other programs uh the only time we saw ecw commercials was during an ecw on tnn uh program you had a lot of um advertising for other programs following ecw like the roller jam that was mentioned earlier so that's what a lot of what tommy dreamer was referencing to in this promo here um 
then he he talks about how he's sick and tired of the wrestling business taking credit for what ECW built. And what I'm guessing as a viewer is what he means by that is, is that that like mature adult oriented content that ECW was known for, that's that method, that concept was adapted into WWF and WCW programming, um, which made them successful at one point in time, respectively, more or less the WWF attitude was created from ECW. They took, a slice of what ECW did, they put their own spin on it and they branded it. And, you know, I believe as a fan, ECW had a strong influence on the rest of the business and how the rest of the business presented itself. I mean, to the point where WCW even tried that shock jock, you know, um, crash TV format with Vince Russo with, you know, scantily clad women and ultraviolet matches uh, towards the end. And uh, ECW, I think, played a big part in that. Um, the influence of, of, of ECW as a promotion in the in the business as a whole provided that for both WWF and WCW. So I'm guessing that's what Tommy Dreamer was referring to in this promo. Um, he would then smash his head into a locker multiple times, forcing himself to bleed, um, telling Justin Credible that he can try to take his mind, his body, and his flesh. Um, but he's going to take Justin Credible's ECW World Heavyweight Championship in the Stairway to Hell match. Um, I thought this was a pretty good promo. Dreamer showed a lot of intensity, um, a lot of emotion setting up his match with Credible uh, for the main event. I, I, I dug it. It got me interested. Um... I know Dreamer was kind of all over the place when he, you know, with some of the other references he made in the promo. Didn't really focus too much on Credible, but he brought back full circle to remind us that he's got a big match coming up later in the evening. So, uh, good stuff overall. Um, our next match here was a pretty fun match. We saw Little Guido take on Psychosis. Tajiri and Mikey Whipwreck in an international fatal four-way match. Um, originally, this match was advertised to be Guido, Psychosis, and Tajiri, um, but uh, Mikey Whipwreck would uh, show up with Sinister Minister, insert himself into the match uh, pretty quickly. Uh, excuse me, Psychosis would be returning to ECW after five years, but without his mask since he lost it in a mask match in WCW. Um, Crowd gave him a pretty warm reception, you know, Latin American star from, you know, who identifies with that demographic in the Southern California area. I thought it was nice. Um, Whipwreck, like I said, shows up with Sinister Minister. He inserts himself into the match and he gets into it pretty quickly with Guido and Psychosis until Ch Tajiri would nail him with a kick to the back of the head. And then Whipwreck would recover, nailing Tajiri with the Whipper Snapper Stunner, a.k.a. the Stone Cold Stunner, to Tajiri. And then he delivers a suicide plancha to all three guys out on the floor, which got a pretty big reaction from the audience. Tony Mamaluke of the FBI, who's not scheduled for this match, would get involved. And Whipwreck ends up giving him uh, a spinning TKO. And then Big Sal, the bodyguard for the FBI, uh, made his way into the ring, or made his way to ringside, catching Mikey Whipwreck with a plancha, but then ramming him into the ring post, then throwing him back in the ring to get a top rope leg drop from Psychosis, with Guido pinning him to eliminate him from this match. So even though he wasn't advertised, it was a quick insert. Um, he got all his stuff in, he, he popped the crowd, and then boom, he was out. And that was kind of what I would referenced to earlier regarding um, ECW's presentation being the Wild West. A lot of unadvertised stuff would um, would trickle its way into the presentation. You know, if a guy wasn't advertised, somehow he would be on the show and it would automatically be an impromptu match. So that unpredictability factor was 
was a perfect example here with Mikey Ripwreck getting involved in this match. Now we go back to the original three-way dance. Um, Tajiri ends up delivering a second rope uh, acai moonsault to the floor onto both uh, Guido and Psychosis, which got a pretty big pop of, as usual. Um, then we would see a superplex, superplex by Tajiri onto Guido into a turtle into a tilt-a-whirl leg drop off the top rope by Psychosis for only a two count. I thought that was a nice little combination move between the two. Um, Guido would then nail the kiss of death to Psychosis, um, who then meets a kick to the back of the head from Tajiri. Tajiri would then set up Psychosis for a German, German suplex pin and the elimination. Um, pretty fun sequence there between all three, um, which now sets us up to the... Uh, it's now down to two, I should say. Um, Tajiri and Little Guido. Great sequence of pinning attempts from both guys that got a lot of recognition from the crowd. Um, we would get a tarantula from Tajiri, which got another pop. Um, springboard back elbow to Little Guido for another pop. As to, then Tajiri would follow that up with going for a steel chair. He set Guido up in the corner and tied him to the tree of woe, baby. That's right, baby. That's the rule with time to the tree of woe. That's right. Kevin Sullivan, the meanest, devilish Kevin Sullivan, tie him up to the tree of woe. That's what I refer to the tree of woe as. That's my first introduction to the tree of woe was Kevin Sullivan. Well, Tajiri brought it here. Um, sets up Guido in the corner, uh, puts a chair in front of his face as Tajiri delivers his signal signature drop kick to the chair into his face to a large ECW chant. Um, Guido would manage to eventually make a comeback and nail Tajiri in the face with a boot um, and the chair. And then second rope Sicilian sliced leg drop. Uh, Guido would try several pinfall attempts but to no avail until Tajiri spit the green mist in his face followed by a brain buster suplex onto the chair for the win at 9 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, I thought this was a fun match. I it, it, it kind of felt longer than it was. Um, it felt longer than 9 minutes and 12 seconds, but that's not a bad thing. Um, I didn't feel like they needed the insertion of Mikey Whiprick into the match, but I'm not going to turn down his contributions and what he brought to the match itself. It may not have made sense, but it was still fun. Um, it was quick, painless. It was what it was. And, uh, yeah, overall, I thought this was a pretty damn good match. Um we get Justin Credible and Francine in the back as Justin Credible talks about the pay-per-view business sticking their nose down on ECW. And tonight he introduces the pay-per-view industry to barbed wire, which is the centerpiece for the Stairway to Hell match. Um, he's not a fan of this concept because he's a true wrestler, but he says he will do whatever it takes to beat Tommy Dreamer and to keep his ECW championship. Um, promo was short and sweet and to the point, but it was too short to say if it was good or bad, to be honest. So I can't really give you a comprehensive uh my, my thoughts on it but um it was what it was um next up we have the ecw world television title match as the sandman goes one-on-one -on -one with the champion rhino um sandman here comes out with his traditional entrance through the crowd but it's dubbed over with the wwe network theme music um and not the metallica enter sandman um crowd as usual goes insane for him this really shows to me how over he was with that rabid fan base he knew his gimmick okay he knew what his limitations were he didn't need to do much but he but people still cared about him immensely he may not have been able to work a lick but his gimmick was his work you know what i mean um the entrance everyone went crazy for the entrance i don't think anybody really cared too much about what would go on with him in a particular match per se um because you know sandman was sandman was 
the brawler, you know, the 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 blue collar drunk that sat at the end of the bar, and if you pissed him off, you you know, and picked a fight with him, he was gonna kick your ass, you know, and uh, that fit him very very well. And uh, in this instance here with Rhino and assaulting his wife and getting the best of him, a lot of people can identify with with you know someone like Sandman in this case where. Sandman's wife is hurt, you know. I don't know how many people I don't know of many people that have had their wives assaulted by other males, but you know, people can identify when, you know, your spouse is hurt and you care for them and, you know, you, you I mean, you know what I mean? Like when my wife hurts, I hurt for her too, you know. And in this instance here, Sandman's wife, you know, was constantly getting abused and beaten up by the network and it's specifically rhino we saw in that video earlier with the pile driver you know through the table um so people can relate to sandman's heart breaking that his wife is going through all this um so yeah i mean i think this was a, a an emotionally charged rivalry um that you know fit the mold of what ECW represented with the ultra violence and it worked. People were into this match. Um, you know, Sandman in his entrance, he likes to drink the beer and then smash the cans over his head. Um, eventually he would, uh, he would bleed before the match even began, um, which was typical Sandman as usual. Um, Rhino then gets in Sandman's face and he would eat a kendo stick to the head, uh, which he was no selling on multiple occasions. And then, uh, you know, this pretty much was just a brawl. You know, I didn't expect this to be a technical wrestling classic. And if anyone did, you should get your head checked because this is, you know, typical Sandman. Um, lots of intensity from both guys playing off the personal animosity they have towards each other in the storyline. Uh, the crowd was with them the whole way. Um, more vulgar language this time from the audience with a lot of Rhino sucks dicks chants. Um, Sandman would bring a security guardrail into the ring. Both guys would end up using it on each other for a little bit. The network would come out to aid Rhino in the form of Steve Carino and Jack Victory attacking Sandman briefly until Spike Dudley would make a save uh, with a kendo stick, nailing Victory. Then, with Sandman's help, they delivered a 3D to Steve Carino in homage to the Dudley boys, Bubba and Devon, former EC. W alumni um, Rhino would then gore spike and set him up to uh, give him a pile driver off the ring apron through the ringside table to a large 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 holy shit chant from the audience um, Rhino and Sandman would then eventually get back into it in the ring trading some blows um, but he would give Sandman a pile driver onto the steel guardrail for the win at 8 minutes and 38 seconds you know it was what I expected this was a fun brawl um this is what epitomized, you know, the, the ECW in many ways. Um, I enjoyed it, and it was personal, and I could relate to it, and yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed this match. Um, we cut back to the commentary tables. They recap what we just witnessed. Uh, we would see Sandman and Spike helping each other to the back, um, and then the commentary team would preview the Rob Van Dan, Scotty Anton match and the Stairway to Hell match set, scheduled for later. Uh, we got some more suggestive sexual innuendos between Cyrus and Don Marie, which uh, you know I found amusing, but obviously Joey Styles as the babyface commentator didn't, so that was interesting. Um, and then our next match here, the U.S. male, Scotty Anton, going one-on-one -on -one with Rob Van Dam. Um, Anton would try to get the crowd going into their uh, their uh, 
their clap, you know, the, the clap chant, you know, where, you know, when he was American male in WCW, that him and Bagwell would come out, they would clap and they were trying to get the audience into it. He was kind of doing that in a very tongue in cheek way. Cyrus on commentary would talk about how I, you know, Scotty Anton's got the greatest gimmick in all in wrestling that I created. You know, the, the U.S. male with the clap, he's bringing the clap back, etc. I thought there was some, some, some fun stuff. Um, this match, pretty much, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in this match. I like RVD. Uh, I really do. I like his stuff in ECW. I, I first watched him in ECW and I became a fan of him. And when he went over to WWE, I enjoyed his stuff as well. Um, but uh, this match I didn't really care for because this pretty much was a showcase of RVD. It was like an RVD greatest hits match. Um, you know, the the match to me didn't make Scotty Anton look like any kind of credible threat to RVD. And no, no disrespect to Anton, okay? Um, you know, he once performed in WCW as Scotty Riggs as a part of the American Males. He would eventually, um, once that ended, he would join Raven's Flock and have the eye patch over his eye and, you know, look like one of those, you know, those, you know, outcasts, if you will, sitting at ringside with Raven. Um, and that worked through him for a little bit. And then he tried to bring back the the... The, the the pretty boy look after the flock had disbanded uh with um <clears throat> excuse me with uh, his um you know the, the whole mirror thing you know looking in the mirror kind of like the paul orndorff thing from 95 94 95 maybe where orndorff would come out with the mirror um tried to bring that that back a little bit but that didn't work he was let go from wcw he had joined ecw they immediately paired him with rvd as like an on-screen uh, duo they were friends if you will um and then you know short time after that he had turned on rvd which um like i said this didn't really make him look like a credible threat um this match was all about van damme getting revenge on anton but also debuting the van terminator and if anton could avoid this move like i said typical rvd match all of his signature stuff on display rolling thunder springboard mood salts martial arts kicks um this isn't a bad match but it's not my favorite rvd match um you know, they, they, they really tried hard on commentary to play off the personal uh, rivalry that these two were under. Um, but it just didn't connect with me. I didn't buy Anton as a superstar at the same level as RVD. They tried, but I just didn't buy it. Um, I felt like the turn was too soon. It just didn't really make any sense. Um, to me, there just wasn't enough buildup. But at the same time, you know, they, they had to do this because they needed... They they were they were trying to stay alive. It, it shows what kind of shape the company was in at the time when they're they're going to these lengths to to try and make new stars um, at the expense of someone like Rob Van Dam. Um, now, if you know Anton debuted with RVD and they were on screen friends for longer than two or three months, if they had built this up for like six months, seven months, eight months, and then the turn, then I could get into it. Then I could buy it. Um, but I, I just I couldn't I really couldn't um, and it it just it didn't make it didn't make me believe that Anton had a future following this match which I don't think he did I don't think he was in ECW for very much longer after this this might have been like a short term thing for him um, I don't know all the details behind that but um, the finish would come when Van Dam delivered. A Van Daminator and a five-star frog splash to Scotty Anton, but he doesn't go for the cover. Instead, he debuts his Van Terminator, the coast-to-coast, ring-corner-to-ring-corner dropkick with Fonzie holding the chair in the face of Scotty Anton for the win at 19 minutes and two seconds. Um, 
And then we have here um, a video package with the dubbed over music highlighting uh, the rivalry between Dreamer and Credible to set up the main event. We see Credible defeating Dreamer to for the ECW Championship just minutes after he had beaten Taz for the title at CyberSlam 2000 and everything that led up to this match with the involvement of Jazz and uh, Gorgeous George and Francine. Um, and uh, yeah, then you know the announcers would preview it and here we are, the main event of the evening. The Stairway to Hell match for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Just incredible, the champion going one-on-one -on -one with Tommy Dreamer. Kind of like your traditional ladder match, Except you climb up, you grab the barbed wire, and you're able to use it on your opponent. The match continues. Pinfall or submission wins this match. Um, Dreamer makes his way out. He's accompanied by Jazz, who used to be a part of Credible's little entourage with Jason and Lance Storm, Nicole Bass, and Dawn Marie. Uh, as the Impact players, they were a, a pretty solid group within ECW. Um, the former Gorgeous George, who was once in a romantic relationship with Macho Man. Oh, yeah, dig it. Um... She shows up with a ladder and sets up the ladder out in the ringside area and then uh, stands side by side with Jazz and Tommy Dreamer. Um, this was interesting here. We get a commotion in the audience that gets the attention of the wrestlers um, as we see um, ECW's Atlas Security get involved. Uh, what took place here was a group of wrestlers from a local independent circuit um, known as XPW. They were like a knockoff of ECW. They were local in the Los Angeles area. Um, they showed up at ringside, and then we would see the ECW locker room empty out to confront them. Security, a little bit of a pull apart, but... Um you know, they showed up to crash the pay-per-view, and uh, Joey Styles on commentary makes no mention of them, but says that a drunk fan tried to touch Francine, causing the issue. Uh, you could see some close-up camera shots of Francine in the ring. You know, a lot of cussing, pointing fingers. Um, she did not look visibly upset on camera. Um, but in interviews years later, she has said that nobody touched her during that interaction. So I don't know what, the, what that was all about. But the rumor for years... I do some research on this, and uh, the rumor for years was that XPW owner Rob Black purchased six front row tickets, and before the pay-per-view went on the air, they confronted ECW security and Tommy Dreamer, and they were thrown out of the building. Uh, following that, allegedly a fight broke out in the parking lot between some of the ECW talents and the XPW representatives. Um, but then somehow... These six XPW talents managed to get back into the building somehow, and we were treated to that little mini pull-apart before the main event. Um, there have been some that have said that uh, this was Paul Heyman's attempt to work the boys as he had a reputation for doing that sort of thing, kind of keeping a lot of guys in the dark when it comes to certain angles, when it came to surprises, etc., etc. Um XPW representatives have always claimed that they, uh, they came to the pay-per-view to let ECW know that they were on enemy turf. Uh, they ran, uh, XPW ran the, Los, the, the, the Grand Olympic uh, Auditorium in Los Angeles. They did uh, um, not television, but they would, you know, they, would, they would shoot footage there and they would have a, a small crowd. They wouldn't fill up the building like ECW did, but um, that that building is most famous for the night that New Jack had thrown Vic Grimes off the scaffold through like those stack of like ten or twelve tables in the middle of the ring, almost killing him. Uh, you can find that footage on YouTube. It was a part of that Dark Side of the Ring um, episode highlighting New Jack. Uh, but yeah, XPW ran there regularly, and this was their way of letting ECW know, like you're in our house. Um, 
you know, you're on our turf. And, uh, yeah, so um, that was that. Um, but, you know, Atlas Security would then have a heavy presence at ringside after this incident, which wasn't the case for the matches in the on the pay-per-view prior. We saw some guys there, but there was at least, like, one Atlas Security member on each, you know, corner post on the outside, a couple in between. Like, there was a heavy security presence following that. So I tend to believe that might have been a shoot, but... You know, I'm not going to lose sleep over whether it was a shoot or a work. Um, the match would eventually get underway with a series of chain wrestling holds between the two, which I was kind of surprised by, given the nature of the match, the stairway to hell. But um, it didn't take them long to give us um, their, you know, the typical stuff. We saw some brawling through the crowd early on, on the floor and, and into the ringside area. Um, Credible would eventually get busted open. Um, couldn't tell how, but he somehow managed to um, come back with a bloody face after their brawl into the crowd, which the cameraman didn't get a whole lot of. Um, they would eventually make it back up to the hard camera area where all the audio and video equipment are. Um, Tommy Dreamer would grab a ladder and place the ladder on top of the merchandise table uh, that was underneath them in the balcony. Um, and then Just Incredible would push Dreamer off that ladder who missed the table and landed on the floor, which you could hear like a visible thud, um, which definitely wasn't good, um, for sure. Um, and then uh, Credible would bring Dreamer back to the ringside area and continue the attack. Dreamer fought back, sending Credible into the ladder, into another ladder, the one that Gorgeous George set up at ringside with an Irish whip. He would take that ladder and set it up into the corner and try to send Credible into the ladder, but he gets reversed and eats the ladder in the face, which causes him to bleed. Um, Credible then grabbed the chair and placed it on top of the post, then the ladder on the second rope in the same corner, but Dreamer would counter and slingshot Credible into the, uh, face first into the bottom of the ladder that he had set up. Um, Dreamer climbed the Dreamer then would set the ladder up and climb it to try and grab the barbed wire, but Francine stopped him, and as she stopped him, Dreamer and her both fell back off the ladder onto the mat. She took a pretty gnarly bump there, I will say. Um, big reaction from the crowd. Um, Gorgeous George and Jazz then enter the match, um, looking like they're going to confront Francine, but then we see Gorgeous George... Um, pull Jazz by the back of her hair and slam her down, turning on her and then siding with Francine, who would then deliver a Bronco Buster to Jazz in the corner. Um, not long after that, which is a case of no selling, in my opinion, if you go back and watch the footage, Jazz ends up recovering and takes George out and then rips Francine's top off, revealing her breasts, um, showing her nipples taped up. So clearly that was a planned spot. Um, nothing was blurred out of the network, by the way. So if, if any of you horny guys out there want to see Francine's titties, you can find it <laughs> in this match uh, with a little black tape X'd over the nipples. Um, Credible then snatches Jazz and sets her up for the That's Incredible Tombstone pile driver, nailing her into the middle of the ring. Uh, Dreamer would come back and give Credible the Tommy Hawk cutter for a two count, which was like a razor's edge diamond cutter kind of combo. I thought that was pretty cool. Never knew that that was what it was named. Um... Dreamer then scales the ladder to retrieve the barbed wire, and he grabs it and then disposed of the ladder and sets up the barbed wire around the ring ropes, the top rope, I should say. Um, he would grab Credible and climb up to the corner with Just Incredible and then crotched him onto the top rope covered in barbed wire. Got a pretty big pop, a holy shit chant, Joey Styles with the, oh my God, you know, all that good stuff. Um... Dreamer would then go for an inverted DDT, but Credible countered with That's Incredible onto the barbed wire for a near fall. Um, 
Dreamer would recover and get a couple of near fall attempts only for a two count on Credible. He would go for the Tommy Hawk again, but then Credible would counter with another That's Incredible Tombstone Piledriver onto the barbed wire, this time for the victory at 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Um, I'll be honest with you, I wish this match went a little longer. Uh, the finish felt anticlimactic. Uh, was, I was just kind of getting into it before the finish. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, if it went, you know, five more minutes, seven more minutes, I think it would have been a nice, you know, well-rounded story overall. Not a bad match, but it wasn't great either. Um, and, you know, overall, my final thoughts on this show, I thought it was a fun show. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Um, Definitely a lot more good than bad from this show. Uh, the four-way, Carino and Jerry Lynn, the TV title, you know, highlighted this show. If the main event went a little longer, I think it would have been up there with those two, but it's just a little bit below. Like I said, the RVD match, it was nothing special. Um, this was like a thumbs in the middle, I guess you could say. Um, you know, it, to, to kind of equate the, the blind date aspect of it, to, to draw a, compa uh, a comparison or a parallel, this blind date felt like the "it's not you, it's me" routine. You know, uh, the old George Costanza <laughs> from Seinfeld, um, in the sense that I didn't have any great expectations going into it, and this was just really to occupy my time. So um, I wouldn't go watch this show back again, but you guys can if you want, um, and, and and let me know. Uh, hit us up on social media if you thought this was a better show than how I had presented it in my blind date diary. Then hit us up on facebook facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two hit that like button um tell a friend to hit the like button and uh be a part of all the fun that we have over there as well as our twitter handle drop us a tweet give us a follow at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two if you liked ecw heatwave 2000 if you didn't like it let us know and uh you know have your voice heard as a member of the kicking out at two crew and you can find all the backlog archive shows of kicking out at two especially these blind date diary concepts on our uh, as part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, search Retromania with a W. You can find this show kicking out at two Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, um, uh, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, and so much great bonus content all over there as part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on Google Play. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and any other podcast platform available by searching Retromania with a W. And that about does it for this Blind Date Diary recap of ECW Heatwave 2000 here on Kicking Out of 2 this week. Thank you all so very much. Next week, we go back with another Trading Places format. This time, we're going to cover WWF Fully Loaded 2000. What if Chris Benoit left that pay-per-view as the WWF champion? What if Triple H fell victim to Chris Jericho in the last man standing match? What if Kurt Angle beat The Undertaker? Those were the three big marquee matchups for that pay-per-view. We're going to cover that card and then some with our signature role reversal and all the what-if scenarios that embodies trading places here on Kicking Out at 2. And I think it's about that time that we put this show officially down for the three count, and we will see you all next week.